Today's episode of The Shamrock is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission, fees, or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing or ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to shamrock.robinhood.com. That's shamrock.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. A free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by Matt Fortuna, who's back from, um, I don't know, how many days were you in New Orleans uh, hosting other podcasts? I felt a little bit threatened about uh, your devotion to The Shamrock, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that you've, you've found time to rejoin this local Notre Dame show after your, your national excursions uh, at the national title game. My head is still like coming down from the high of uh, playing the House of Blues, you know, the same place I was hosted. <laughs> Uh, J. Cole, Green Day, Wiz Khalifa, pretty much any musician from any genre, from any era, uh, which, you know, they were kind enough to give us their green room, and th- that was pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, I will, uh, you'll have to get in touch with my agent if you want me to continue this podcast, but I figured I'd make an exception in light of the Tommy Reese Yeah, well, I appreciate you coming back to us because uh, you, you are a, the Reese expert being a Chicago guy. Uh, and you know Reese's Chicago connections, and you know, I guess the the biggest drama of the whole thing was, is he Tom or Tommy? That was settled late yeah. last night by Notre Dame's new offensive coordinator himself. With it's Tommy. Um, so, what was your reaction when you heard this news? I don't think we either of us were all that surprised about it. So, what? How do you sort of process uh, when when that all came down? Uh, I, I was literally on a flight about to take off as the Notre Dame tweeted it. And uh, the timing was surprising just because the timing was always going to be surprising because what took them so long? I mean, this was exactly what we knew they were going to do uh, from the moment Chip Long left and frankly, even before Chip Long left. And uh, as far as I know, unless you have information I don't, unless someone else does, this whole idea of a quote unquote national search um, was a farce. Um, and that's not to say I don't like to hire. I like to hire a lot. I just don't know what took so long. I mean, Reese interviewed with Oregon in the meantime, and while Oregon seems to have taken Joe Moorhead, uh, why even let it get to that point if you're Notre Dame? Like, what what else did you need to see, did you need to know, especially when, by all indications, you didn't actually interview anyone else? Yeah, it uh, the, the process was weird. Uh, I, do, I do like the hire. I think that maybe puts uh, both of us in a, a little bit of a minority position here um, relative to... I don't know, other media, I guess. I'm not really sure. But, I, you know, I, I think Reese is super talented. And in, in some ways, if Kelly had come out and said, I didn't need to do a national search, I know who my guy is, it's, to, it's Tommy Reese, 
you know, in parentheses, shut off. He would have like, said, he would this have said, is my Tom. guy. Like, pipe yeah. down social media and fanboy reporters. Like, Reese is the guy. Like, I think that almost would have been a, a, a better way to go um, to really get his back opposed to being like, yeah, I, I, I interviewed, you know, national candidates. You know, there was no subtext about whether that would be Munkin or Moorhead or something or, uh, you know, the guy from Tulane. Um, you know, just just be all in on Reese. I think that's the way to go. I think he's a, an incredibly talented guy. I think the the lack of experience is is notable, but you know how experience was Clark Lee, Joe when, Brady, or Joe Brady. Um, you know, it's there's this weird hang up around Notre Dame that somehow Reese's limitations as a player um, have anything to do with his ability to coach. I think they they do, but only as an enhancement. Um, the reason. Tom, Tommy Reese won so many games is because he was really friggin' mm-hmm. smart. Um, you know, when you talk to anybody who played with him or practiced with him, that was the first thing that came out. He knew everything at all times, and that's what you want as a coach more than the ability to run a four three or throw a seventy yard pass from your knees. Like Reese is Reese was born to be a coach. Um, you know, when he was ten, like when he was growing up, and his dad was at UCLA, yes. there was already a perception like this guy's going to be a coach one day. I don't, and there was a like I don't think much of him as a player, but potentially, but as a coach, like this guy's got the goods. So now he's there. I, I guess I'm not, I'm not real surprised that at all that they came to this conclusion. I thought, and I'm with you. They could have come to it. Um, you know, he could have named. I guess. In the post-game press conference after the Camping World Bowl, if Brian could have been like, yep, we're going with Reese, I would have been like, okay, you know, no big surprise there. That's I think it's a, a right. smart move. Uh, yeah, yeah, the playing days, like you said, should only enhance it. I mean, obviously the guy took a lot of unnecessary crap. I mean, he literally got booed by his home fan base as he saved them in a Week 2 game against a Purdue team that ended up firing their coach that year. In a year, Notre Dame ended up going to uh, the national title game. Um I just remember senior year, you know, I mean, Everett Colson suspended for the year. Tommy's their guy. He's a senior. He has all the starting experience. And, look, obviously he has a lot of physical limitations, but that guy had that locker room in the palm of his hand. I mean, he roomed with those offensive linemen. He was, let's face it, the slowest quarterback we've probably ever seen. You know how many sacks Notre Dame gave up that year? Eight. They were second in the country behind Toledo. That's because the guy knew every single call, every single protection. He knew the wavelength every single person on offense was going to be. And Andrew Hendricks, God bless him, friend of the pod, friend of us, uh, he came in for that second half against USC, a 14-10 game, and I believe they had added 30 total yards of offense uh, with Hendricks in there. Um, If anything, like you said, his playing days – uh, should only enhance you know his candidacy and legitimacy as an offense coordinator. I mean, he, he had the freedom at the line of scrimmage to call his own plays when he was senior. There was never a doubt in anyone's mind that he was going to be a coach and that he'd probably end up back in Notre Dame as a coach. And I think the fast track he's on only kind of further validates um, just what a great football mind he is because if he wasn't at Notre Dame right now, he'd probably be a quarterback coach in the NFL somewhere. And I think he's really, really good at what he does. Obviously, there's the mystery around – He's never called a play before. He's never done this. He's never done that. Everyone's got to start somewhere. And again, unless you were going to get Joe Moorhead, and I have no idea if they even reach out to him or not, and or if the fit would have been there or not, um, I just think this was always going to be the next move, regardless of how things played out with Chip Long. I, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the, the Camping World Bowl was – I talked to Dan Orlovsky, um earlier this week after the news came out because, I mean, he's the, he's the only guy who's called a game – 
of Notre Dame's when Reese called plays, um, mm-hmm. you know, from the Camping World Bowl. And he said his meeting with Brian Kelly in pre-production was it was quite clear Reese was going to be the guy unless there was a huge disaster in the Camping World Bowl. And there wasn't. They smoked them. You know, Ian Book was very efficient. I, you know, the offense didn't put up 650 yards, but they it was very straightforward, workmanlike. They were sharp, I think, for the most part. Um, after a pretty big layoff, there are a lot of questions about how dialed in they were going to be. Um, you know, Orlovsky said, like, talking to – he asked Kelly – um, mm-hmm. You know, essentially, like, what kind of pressure expectations are there on Reese for this game? And Kelly looked at him and he's like, none. Like, I know this, I know this is going to be great. Um, so, in a lot of ways, I think that the Camping World Bowl, what, you know, people talk about it as an interview. I think it was just more a confirmation. Um, it was a confirmation of what Brian Kelly already believed he had in Tommy Reese. And he went out and improved it. Like, it, you know, there was, there was absolutely zero surprise or drama around the camping world bowl performance of the offensive play caller. Um, you know, I think Reese really delivered there and, you know, it's a, as a play caller, I think that he, there was no real adjustment he had to make. Like how does he adjust when things go wrong? I think that was something that Chip Long and Clark Lee both do really well in their own way is sort of adjust on the fly. Um, how Reese does that will be interesting to sort of see over time. You know, they run into Wisconsin, Jim Leonard's really talented, Clemson, Brent Venables really talented as defensive coordinators. Um, you know, that's no secret. So he'll you know, is Notre Dame gonna go twelve and zero next year? Probably not. But uh I think the offensive coordinator role with Reese will probably be a value add. I do I, I do wonder if if you were gonna maximize the staff to get Moorhead to work with Reese, um you know, maybe have Reese coach quarterbacks. Moorhead sort of floats as offense coordinator. Maybe Polian coaches tight ends. I don't really know, but um, to me, that would have been adding brain power and innovation to your your offensive staff room. And I think you know, if, if Brian Kelly, as he talks about you know, doing what's in best in the best interest of the program. I to me, I I sort of look at that and think, wouldn't that be the better way to go? Uh, have Reese be co OC. I have no problem with Reese's OC. It's just like if you're trying to maximize your staff um, in terms of offensive innovation and knowledge, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be a better way to go? Uh, yeah, I mean it's certainly worth talking about. Again, I, I don't know if they ever actually talked to Joe Moorhead, maybe, maybe, or if they you know even put any feelers out his way. Yeah. Which again is just you know if there's drama from our perspective with this, it's what took so long because we knew this was going to happen. And you, I, I don't think they were ever in threat or in danger of losing him to Oregon. But, like, the fact that he even got to that point, uh, while it's good interview experience for Tommy Reese, uh, I think you know, should not have happened if you're Notre Dame. I think they should have locked this up earlier. I'll be curious to see whether he goes down to the sideline now as the OC, the way Chip Long was, or if he stays up in the box and, and kind of oversees everything while being in constant communication um, with, uh, with the quarterback. But, you know, I want to go back to, to what you – mentioned in your story where you talked about Dan Orlovsky and you know that was just a money quote I thought he gave where he's talking about uh, asking Brian Kelly what he ex- expects from Tommy Reese's game and he says quote I don't want to sound corny about this but it was almost like how a parent talks about his child he just smiled and said he knew Tommy would be good he said he was born to do this end quote uh, which I think is pretty telling there, there's very few people I think that Brian Kelly's ever coached for one and few that he's probably ever coached with who I think can leave him kind of speechless in that regard and just give you that kind of knowing smile because 
that's the kind of player Tommy was. You never had to worry about him being late to a meeting or not knowing what the play call was or, or not being ready if ever Golson got hurt or got in trouble again. Um, the guy, you know, was born to do this. And um, I think now, you know, I know it's young. I know he's young, but well, Charlie Weiss Jr. is on his second OC job. He's younger, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Joe Brady, who I'll, I, I don't want to put that kind of expectation on Tommy Reese just yet because Joe Brady just – uh, was responsible for probably the greatest offensive season in the history of college football. But he was also an intern with the New Orleans Saints last year who no one had heard about. Um, Tommy's a quarterback. He has NFL experience. He's coached at Northwestern. He's been coaching at Notre Dame now for this will be his fourth year, and obviously he played four years there before then. Uh, you made the analogy that it's almost like Clark Lee uh, in terms of we're betting on our own guys to, to, to be those next guys rather than going outside the family. And I think that's the appropriate way to go when you're a Notre Dame program that's won, what is it now, 34 games, I think, over the last three years? 33, um, yeah. 33, I'm sorry. 33-6. Um, 33-6. Look, Notre Dame's not Clemson, okay? Clemson's operating on a different plane than, than most of college football right now. But, you know, you look at Clemson, they just lost Jeff Scott, their offensive, co- or, excuse me, their offensive coordinator, to become a head coach at South Florida. And, like, not even a full day goes by until Dabo Sweeney says we're promoting Tyler Grisham, our analyst, to wide receivers coach. Like, they have a pipeline at Clemson where they have a unique culture, they have a unique unique place, a unique recruiting model that is going to be probably very difficult for someone from the outside to come in and learn and blend in seamlessly. And Notre Dame, while they haven't had the level of success that Clemson has – it's a different place. They like to beat that in our face every single time they talk about it. Like the academics are different. The living situation is different. The campus life is different. The weather's different. Uh, you know, everything about it is different. And when you've had the level of success that Notre Dame has had, and you have the chance to get a guy who's not only in your building right now as a quarterback's coach, but who has been there and seen some really dark times and some really good times as a player, uh, I don't know if you can find a better fit than 27-year-old Tommy Reese, age notwithstanding. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the the Clark Lee parallels are well, parallels the wrong word because it's not it's not a perfect right. comparison. But I do think that there's a lot of like cultural elements with Reese, um, and I, I, I that play well. You know, the players were very high on Lee before he was promoted, and certainly have been ever since. I don't know if like asking your players is really a great management technique um if you're a ceo head coach but and i asked brian kelly about that with the the move away from chip long like did you consult the players on this and he's like no absolutely not but if you don't have your finger on the pulse of your program you're not gonna be a head coach very long so you know it's it's sort of like having it both ways a little bit i I think that reese is super popular with the players um, both the, the guys on the team now and the guys he played with um you sort of see that outpouring of affection when he was promoted and i think that in one thing that's interesting to me is like look clarkley values reese as an innovator and a thinker and i think a culture builder and i really trust clarkley's opinion on those elements um you know clark me lee might not know very much about how to put together an offensive game plan i mean way more than you or i do but you know that's not his area of expertise but i think where he's really a, a rock star is sort of that culture shared purpose um you know the intangibles like the the kind of stuff that get people to perform above and beyond what their physical abilities are uh 
and I think he sees Reese as a little bit of a kindred spirit in that way. Not not that they're identical. Like Clark Lee has three kids. Tom Tommy Reese is single in his twenties. Um, so that's. But I but I do think there's there's some similarities there. Even if people are quick to point out, like, hey, Clark Lee had all this experience about basically a decade of being a position coach before he was promoted to a coordinator. Um, I think one of the the super interesting parallels to me is like I was talking to somebody. Uh, who knows Rick Neuheisel very well. And he said that uh, when Bill Reese was at UCLA, I believe he coached Rick Neuheisel, and they sort of remained in contact. And around 2009, 2010, when Notre Dame was recruiting Reese, Neuheisel was very surprised that Notre Dame would offer Tommy Reese as a quarterback, but he thought for sure he was going to be a coach down the road. And, of course, a GA on Rick Neuheisel's staff that year was none other than Clark mm-hmm. Lee. So, um, you know, some some Rick Neuheisel connections for, for both Notre Dame's coordinators all of a sudden. Yeah, that's why he was down at, I should have asked him about it, he was down doing, I think, Sirius XM. <sighs> Come on. All weekend. Um, my bad. Could have got him. Maybe we'll get him on the pod. I mean, now he's in yeah. the media, but that's, uh, we got a long off season ahead of us. A lot of mm-hmm. time to talk about all these moves and moves to come. Back to the podcast in a minute. First, a word from DraftKings. Conference championship week is here. Four teams, two games. So little time left in the season. And don't miss out. Get in on all the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. With so much going on this week, DraftKings has great promotions running every day. From odds boosts to free bets, they have it all. This week only, bet on any star player to score the first touchdown of the game with 10 to 1 odds. It doesn't get better than that. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe and secure betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. And top it all off, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering their best sign-up offer to date right now. You won't want to miss this. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code FAST when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out with a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget, that's code FAST, and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Indiana only. Bonus comprised of the first deposit and the first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonuses require a 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Now, back to the podcast. Uh, one more thing on, on recent fit. You know, I had a story today just kind of looking at the fallout of Clemson losing and what's going to happen to them moving forward. And I talked to someone there last night, and I said, does it feel different? You haven't lost an assistant in four years. And they said, not really. I think, you know, we love Jeff. We love everyone, but but coaches in in our minds, in some ways, are overrated. You know, if you get good players, you're going to be a good coach. Plain and simple. Mm-hmm. And the only question we have is, can can Tyler Grisham recruit at the level we need him to recruit at? And you know, we have no reason to think he won't. But much like Tommy Reese or Clark Lee, never calling a play before until you are actually allowed to go out on the road and get into living rooms with other people. Um, you just don't know how effective a recruiter you'll be. And uh, you know, I think Tommy Reese has been probably an underrated recruiter so far. I don't think he's gotten some of the credit that some other people on staff have gotten. But, uh, you know, I've talked to people close to Tommy who have said, you know, in some ways, uh, you know, whether whatever he says, whatever he doesn't say, he could be Brian Kelly's biggest advocate. Because, again, he went through the ringer through Brian Kelly's first four years, which, again, featured 
about as high as highs as you can get and about as low as lows as you can get, both as a program and both for Reese as a player. And if he could come out on the other end of that and come back and be an offensive coordinator at the age of 27 there, uh, I, I think that is, you know, the kind of stamp of approval that a guy like Brian Kelly, you know, I, I wouldn't say that he needs because he's going into his 11th season here. It's no spring chicken, but that, that, that helps him when um, people have questions about the style of program he's running. I agree. Um, I think I have questions about him as a recruiter, not that um, – I have questions, not doubts. Um, it's more of just – I think that he will has done a really good job with guys who are, you know, Tyler Buckner. He's uh, the junior potential five star mm-hmm. quarterback from San Diego that they have committed. He was instrumental um, and basically led that recruitment. Um, you know, can he go down to Richmond and find Chris Tyree? Um, you know, he did some work on Jordan Johnson. I went to see Jordan Johnson, the five star receiver from St. Louis. Um, he talked a lot more about Chip Long than than Tommy Reese at the time, but. You know, Tommy Reese was involved in that recruitment. I think it's, I think he will do a great job finding guys that fit Notre Dame, which Notre Dame has not necessarily done every cycle for the last decade. I think they're doing a much better job of it now. So Reese plays into that, that positivity around the program. Um, you know, is he going to be able to sort of essentially outfox uh, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma for guys, uh, you know, sort of the, the the horse race game of recruiting and find guys that maybe aren't automatically predisposed to look at Notre Dame. I mean, Chris Tyrese told me that Notre Dame was just another school when his recruitment started. Like, he didn't know anything about him. Uh, Jordan mm-hmm. Johnson said his first visit to Notre Dame was bad, and Notre Dame had to sort of, like, restart the clock on that one. So can you get guys that aren't, you know, Riley Mills is – a super talented defensive lineman who enrolled early last week. He's from Lake Forest, went to Lake Forest High School. I think that Reese will have no problem locking up that kind of recruitment. Um, but I'm curious to see him sort of get into the trenches a little bit and and pull guys that, you know, maybe aren't predisposed to go to Notre Dame automatically. Because um, those are those are the guys that Notre Dame is going to need to get the program over the top. You can't, you can't especially with this, this Brian Kelly initiative of like, you know, being a top 10 recruiting program, sometimes top five, you're going to have to get more of the um, George Johnson, Chris Tyree types that, um, you know, Notre Dame wasn't a place they always dreamed about going. Can, can Reese go out and get those kinds of guys? I'll be, that's sort of where I'm curious. I don't have doubts about it. I'm just curious to see how that plays out. I'm curious to see if Brian Kelly's going to follow up on that statement and start doing it himself. Have you heard anything in that regard? Pete? Yeah, I I have asked around about that. Um, I think there was some surprise internally that he said what he said 48 hours before the Camping World Bowl. Um, I do think that Brian Kelly is aware that he needs to be more involved. I, do, I also think there's a lot of pushback about the South Bend Tribune story from, on, uh, from Carter about uh, – Jalen McMillan and Lathan Ransom, as if they would have come to Notre Dame if uh, Brian Kelly was more involved. I, I, do, I would argue that if Brian Kelly was more involved, they would have had a great chance to get Jalen McMillan. I don't feel that way about Lathan Ransom mm-hmm. at all, who ended up at Ohio State. Um, Lathan Ransom was pretty upfront that like social life was important right. for him, and that's not that's not really a Notre Dame box that gets checked. Um, you know, I think that Notre Dame's position on finding more elite guys comes down to if there are 35-star guys, Notre Dame's belief is, all right, there are probably 12 of them that we can go after and they are going to look at us. We need to find those 12 earlier and we need to beat their door down their door down harder than maybe we have. And if we get turned away, we need to stay after it. Um, 
I think that there's there's sometimes been a well we can't we these guys are five star they're three and out like why would we even bother with that um and I think the Kyle Hamilton situation has sort of recalibrated Notre Dame's belief that no 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 there are guys out there who believe there are three-year college players, which Kyle Hamilton is, and believe that he was probably going to be when he showed up, that also want a great degree and the Notre Dame experience. Um, they need, they feel like we can do a better job of finding those guys. So if they do, um, then Brian Kelly has to be more involved with those recruitments as well. And if he is, then, then they think that, okay, maybe that – can be the difference maker. Um, you know, as much as I've talked about private planes and infrastructure investment, like just having a, a personal touch from your head coach, who I think would be really good in that role. To mm-hmm. me, that's, that's, that's gotta be one of your first steps, um, to move this thing even farther along. So on the subject of recruiting, um, there was Tommy Reese was not the only news, um, that's happened since we've last had a Shamrock episode. Phil Dracovic, uh, the former four-star, next great quarterback in Notre Dame, will no longer be, uh, if we see those talents at all, doing doing his work at Notre Dame. Um, Entered the transfer portal, almost immediately ended up at Boston College, and the school put out a release saying he will apply for a waiver for immediate eligibility. Um, I don't know about you, but I think this is a not good situation for Notre Dame, regardless of how it plays out. Yeah, the optics are not great for sure. Um, I'm not sure I understand the grounds for Jakovic getting a waiver, um, but I feel like people have gotten it for less. Um, is you know is is the grounds for the waiver that Chip Long was too hard on him, or you know treated him poorly? I I don't know. Um, I'm not really sure where he goes with that. I'm sort of of the belief, generally speaking, that players should have an easier time getting waivers than harder. Um, this would be one of those times. Boston College is not on the schedule next year, so just let him move on with his athletic career. Um, he was here for two years, didn't play a lot, had a frustrating go. I mean, we both know Phil and his family. I never came across uh, any bits of, like, we feel like he should be playing and he's not, or this is a miserable experience. Notre Dame was a mistake. None of that. Um, I think he was fairly low maintenance for Notre Dame. Um, So maybe you can sort of pay that back and be like, all right, just move on with your career. You're not on the schedule until 2022, at which point you would be eligible anyway. Um, And just sort of like let, let him move on with the next chapter of his career. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, you've talked done a lot with uh, with Phil. I did a story with him when he was in high school. I went over and visited his family's home out in the Pittsburgh suburbs. Uh, low maintenance is probably the perfect way to put it. I mean, for a guy who was maybe the most decorated quarterback to ever come out of Western Pennsylvania, which has been, you know, over a long period of time, the cradle of quarterbacks in this country, uh, you know, the dad was much, was not at all like your typical dad of a four or five-star quarterback. He was... Very yeah, much happy to be there. You know, even talking to him when Phil was at Notre Dame, he said, my kid's having a good time. As long as he feels he's getting treated well, I'm happy. I'm happy if he's happy. You know, it is what it is. Um, have not talked to anyone in the family or close to Phil really since um, since uh, the news that he was leaving got out there. Um, they've, they've played their cards close to the vest. Um, I have talked to multiple people at Notre Dame just to get a, an idea of – 
what happened and what is the grounds for this potential waiver. Um, and, you know, they, they, they kind of hypothesized the way you did. It might be about the way he feels he was treated by Chip Long, which, uh, you know, if that gets out there, I think, you know, you can look at this a number of different ways. You, Notre Dame can say, look, we fired the guy. We did our part. You know, t- take your complaints elsewhere. Uh, if there's stuff out there that we don't know about yet that is really ugly and dark, which I'm not saying there is, but again, if you're going to put that out there that you're applying for a waiver, there has to be some kind of extenuating circumstance. That could be bad for Notre Dame. But, you know, people I talked to Notre Dame said, if it is about that, we plan to fight it pretty hard. And I get trying to defend yourself and defend your reputation, but when you're Notre Dame, which is supposed to be this beacon of student-athlete empowerment, I don't think you, that's a PR battle you're going to win, uh, regardless of how well-intentioned you are. It, it's just uh, it's yeah, going especially to Notre be, Dame. Like, exactly. The headlines mm-hmm. elsewhere are going to be Notre Dame trying to keep a kid who wasn't good enough to play there and had to go to Boston College, a lesser program to play, uh, trying to keep him from playing this year. Why, why, are, why are they bullying him? Uh, that, that's just that's how it's going to be played out publicly, um, whether you agree with that or not. That's just the world we live in today. And I don't think that's a headache Notre Dame needs to, to bring on. I mean, let him go. Uh, if he really wants to play, if he's really going to fight it, whatever. I mean, you don't want a situation where, uh, you know, you have like the Jim Harbaugh with the kid from Cincinnati that our Justin Williams wrote about extensively this year that drew all sorts of yeah. national headlines. Like, there, there is no winning this fight when you're a six- or seven-figure paid football coach and an unpaid student-athlete. There just isn't. I don't care who's right, who's wrong. Let it go. That's the world we live in. Um you know, don't bring on any more headaches uh, that you don't already need. I agree completely. It's, um, I do think, you know, if Phil had come back, um, he was much closer to having to fight for the number two job than pushing Ian Book. Um, and that was, in, in some ways, it's maybe this gets back to Reese a little bit where it's another parallel to the quarterback situation currently. Like, when Reese was here, there was so the the, the fan sentiment and media sentiment um, was, why aren't they playing Hendricks? Let's see what they've got with Hendricks. Um, I think with Book, it wasn't the same, but it was similar. Where you had a section of the fan base, and frankly, some media members or at least people who have press credentials, um, <laughs> saying that Jerkovic needs a shot. Um, that you know, Book is not going to get Notre Dame to the national championship game or back to the playoff. And for look, we've seen Jerkovic in practices and games um, more so in practices, but I, I can't tell you that I came out of a single practice or game and thought he's closing the gap on Ian book. Not one time did I ever think that. Um, so I did, you know, it's with Reese and Hendricks. I think that if, if Ian book got hurt, at halftime against Virginia Tech and Dracova came in, I think Notre Dame would have had a hell of a time winning that game. Um, you know, it was a struggle as it was. But I, there was just nothing about Dracova where you saw it all click in. I think that hopefully for for his sake, like a fresh start, new you know, new voice, maybe new system, new head coach, whatever, new, new city, um, just like lets him sort of get back to playing free and easy and being the kid who I think accounted for more than 11,000 yards in high school um, and pushing 70, 80 total touchdowns. Like there's ability there. Notre Dame wasn't able to get it out, but Ian Book was never, 
you know, for how much maybe he didn't take a massive step forward last year, he was never he was not taking a step back that was opening the door for Phil Jakovic either. So that's you know, I, I, I hope that Phil is able to find like a good second act in his college career because uh, it, it wasn't happening for him at Notre Dame, um, you know, for for a multitude of reasons. But one of them is Ian Book wasn't going to let it happen because he was he was playing too well, even if fans thought that he wasn't. Right, and again, Ian Book was not some you know ballyhooed five star recruit. Um, he's a guy I think he, most people on Notre Dame staff did not expect to have the kind of career he's already had. Remember, it was. Brandon Woodbush was the next big thing, and Phil Jakovic was was coming in behind him. Ian Book happened to get in the way of those things by playing really well and by putting himself in position now to be a three-year starting quarterback, a two-year captain, and a guy with a college football playoff under his resume. And that's just really hard to beat. I think it's more of a testament to, to Ian Book than anything else. Um, Mike Sanford, I believe, was the main guy recruiting Jakovic. Is that right from my understanding? Uh, yes. Or at least uh, was the I, guy who found him, you know, quote unquote found. Yeah. He was already committed by the time, uh, Reese and Long right, showed up. Right. And um, so that was, that was a Sanford evaluation, which is, it was just, I don't know. I, I'm well, not sure what to, I, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of Mike Sanford and quarterback evaluations. Well, here, you know, Sanford did get the me and book. So I don't think we could completely, you know, discount his, um, his eye for talent. But. Yeah, that's, that's fair. That's but, a fair point. And everyone wanted Phil. I mean, this wasn't unique to Notre yes. Dame. Yes. Um, yeah. There were, yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of people wanted Phil. He was widely regarded as a national top-tier quarterback prospect. Uh, but, um, you know, most of this current offensive staff, if not all of this current offensive staff, had never seen him throw live before. And I think they were a little taken aback by some of the mechanical issues once he got on campus and thought this guy might be a little bit more of a project than everyone was making him out to be. Now, again, the boss man, Brian Kelly, went out there publicly and was doing the same thing privately, I can tell you. He's telling everyone he's the best quarterback recruit in the country that year, and he's the best he's ever had, and he's going to do this, this, and this, and we're not afraid to play a freshman. Uh, and, you know, that obviously came back to burn, I think, everyone. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens with Phil. Um it, it's college football these days. I mean, look at the last three Heisman winners. All of them were transfers at quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, look at all the finalists this year. Uh, I believe were all transfers. All the at least all the the quarterbacks were um, Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, and uh, and Joe Burrow. Um, that's not to say Phil Jerkovich is going to win a Heisman Trophy at Boston College, but <laughs> hey, that, Doug Flutie did it. He'll playing Notre Dame as a fifth-year senior because he'd already be in the NFL. Well, he could come back and be uh, the Notre Dame NBC announcer the way the last Boston College Heisman Trophy uh, quarterback did. See right. it all. Like the long game together. that are playing here exactly, for two Exactly, exactly. We talk about physical fitness a lot, but there's another side to the game that's just as important. I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body, and Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your best. Also, can help you put your kids to sleep. Samson family, this is huge. Sleep stories for kids. Calm Airways, highly recommended. So head to calm.com slash shamrock, get 40% off a Calm premium membership. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron and the Samson family in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash shamrock. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better, and your kids. Get started at calm.com slash shamrock. That's calm.com slash shamrock. So, I mean, we'll we'll see how this unfolds. Um, 
I think if anything, the timing was a little bit of a surprise just because you figure he's two years in. He could probably graduate in three years, suck it up for this year, battle out for number two. If, God forbid, something happens at Ian Book, you put yourself in position to be the next guy in and start. Uh, but you get that degree. You don't have to apply for that waiver. And then you have two immediate years of eligibility elsewhere with a Notre Dame degree on your resume. But, you know, Boston College ain't too shabby of a school either, academically no. speaking. So, um, yeah, I, I, I hope it works out for his sake. Um, and, you know, frankly, for both sides, I hope this uh, this dies down a peaceful, quiet death uh, and it ends up in the NCAA's hands. Hey, if you're if you're Notre Dame, would you rather lose Phil Jakovic to Boston College or Clark Lee? Hmm. So let's 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 look at the sunny side of this, Fortuna. It wouldn't just be Clark Lee either. I don't think. Yeah, exactly. There would be a few few people uh, on that plane to Boston. I think with Clark Lee. Speaking um, of Clark Lee, uh, maybe we're going to talk about the same thing here. Um, position openings on our team's current staff: tight ends, DBs, DFO. Uh, yeah, it's, Christian um, Parker is a name that's been thrown both our ways as a potential secondary coach. Yeah, was, I mean, I think. Christian Parker, I feel pretty strongly that that's unless something weird happens or A and M is like well, Mo Linquist. Well, Mo Linquist, yeah, just left A and M. Their DBs Correct. coach for the Cowboys and Parker was a GA at Notre Dame in seventeen and then left with Elko to be a GA in eighteen. I think he was an analyst at both or spots. An, or analyst, analyst, um, GA. But he yeah. was not a full time coach, but he's on Correct. staff. Correct. Um, um, so he, I mean, he was he left with Elko once before. I don't know if Elko will then, uh, you know, try to gazump Notre Dame and, and hire him back. Uh, but I think he would be a young, dynamic coach. Um, Might have I a like Super Bowl NFL. ring too. Yeah, I like the NFL experience there too. Um, and they they need sort of a dynamic recruiter at that position. That I don't think they necessarily have that with Todd Light. So that would. That would be interesting. I haven't I haven't really dug into that a whole lot in terms of what his personality was like, but again, it's kind of gets back to the Reese. If if Clark Lee sort of sees a kindred spirit in Tom Reese, Tommy Reese, and you know Christian Parker maybe is viewed in the same way, I am all for it. Um, you know, Nick Lazinski is somebody that I'm personally very high on, and if they yep. think Christian Parker is a better fit as a full time coach than Nick Lazinski. I, that, that says a lot to me too because I know people absolutely love Nick Lazinski in that um, in that building. So if you're going to find somebody that you think can do a better fit for what your defensive staff wants to be, then Lazinski, more power to you because um, I think Lazinski is great. Yeah, and I hope they don't take him for granted either because he's a Notre Dame guy who played there, who obviously came back to be a GA, and I think has uh, every intention of, of making it work there some way somehow. But I hope he gets his due credit and. If the opportunity is there for a full-time coaching position, um, that he gets a fair shot at it because uh, he's a guy who brings a lot to that place. Yeah, definitely. Um, how about we wrap up on Monday night? You were in New Orleans for LSU Clemson. I don't know if there are Notre Dame-centric takeaways there other than uh, Clemson is really talented and thank God that T. Higgins turned pro and hopefully <laughs> Travis Etienne will as well. Um what, what was sort of your thought on, on watching that game as, as it relates? I mean, we've been talking about all year. There was a elite group of mm-hmm. ultimately it's probably three and a half teams, uh, Ohio State, Clemson, LSU, and then Alabama only when it had Tua. <laughs> um, how, how close or far do you think Notre Dame is to that group after, after sort of being around them um, you know, for a few days in New Orleans? Watching the game with my own two eyes, I felt like I was watching a different sport than I'd watched 
elsewhere. Uh, it's like a podcast on 1.5 speed. I mean, it, it, yeah, that, that's a great way to put it. I mean, Joe Burrow threw for almost 400 yards. He had six total touchdowns, and he had his least efficient passing game since October. He got sacked five times. Brent Venable's defense did like everything it could have possibly have done and still gave up 42 points and lost by 17. I mean, from that, my takeaway from that game standpoint was um, actually I was, came away more impressed by LSU's defense than anything else because Trevor Lawrence looked like a shell of himself and was rattled all night and kept overthrowing and he was going to have to play his best game to win and he usually does play his best game but he did not that night uh, and out the door went any chance uh, of Clemson pulling the upset and I should also add Joe Burrow's most perfect ball of the night got dropped by Jamar Chase in the third quarter on a long touchdown oh yeah that so, was a strange one, yeah. uh, the guy is just at a different level than everyone else that offense was at a different level than everyone else um it was you know really like breathtaking to watch live in person uh, especially you know especially after seeing them get locked down in the first quarter you thought here we go like you know two heavyweights and uh the way they were just able to turn on offensively was just incredible but um as it relates to uh the fan base of this podcast i'll say this as much as it looked like one and a half speed podcast uh Obviously not with me and Pete at the helm, but with Joe Burrow and Joe Brady at the helm uh, in person. Uh, This was a team that lost three games the year before with pretty much the same personnel. Um, And they brought Mm -hmm. in Joe Brady, who figured out a way to unlock that personnel. None of whom, well, I wouldn't say none of whom, but a lot of whom were were three and four star prospects. I mean, really good high school players, but not like the Alabama, Clemson, can't miss five star guys. And he turned them into the greatest offense in the history of college football. He took a job at the Panthers, not even 12 hours after. Good for him. Um, but, you know, it, it's not – I mean, this is an LSU team that lost at home to Troy two years ago. So, yep. I don't know if that's inspiring if you're one of those, like, tier B teams right now looking to break through or if that's discouraging um, just because – look, I'm not suggesting Tommy Reese could be the next Joe Brady and Ian Buck's going to make the leap that Joe Burrow did. But, like – I have to think, given that we had not seen a, a rise or a jump or an improvement like that probably in our lifetimes from a single player or team, um, they at least showed it's possible. <laughs> and, yep. you know, that with the right quarterback OC combo um, and with, you know, a few breaks falling your way, you can you can unlock this this magic offense and, and uh, you know, put up historical numbers. Now, I don't think Notre Dame has the personnel across its offense particularly – at the skill position spots that, that would make that possible. But um, it's just incredible to think that that offense was that good this year and they were that poor so for so long before then with much of the same personnel. Yeah, it, it um, I think it was a testament to recruiting more than coaching. I think Notre Dame's coaching is in a really good spot. Um, you know, it, with Reese and Lee as your coordinators, I think that's still pretty dynamic. Um they need a few Jamar Chase, Jordan Jefferson. I, and I, I know everyone will be like, Jordan Jefferson will be a two-star recruit. Um, but when he's playing off Jamar Chase and Terrence Marshall uh, and Joe Burrow, who despite the broadcast stating that he was a two-star <laughs> prospect, he was definitely not. He was that was the same guy star. who said Notre Dame was going to the Orange Bowl, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah that guy. What does he know? Um, you know? They had elite skill talent. Um you know, we were both. We both. I covered the Cotton Bowl against Clemson, and Notre Dame had a hard time getting open against AJ Terrell. LSU just smoked that guy, mm-hmm. and 
he is a first round, second round level corner. Um, you know, I don't think that Notre Dame's game plan against Clemson was great offensively, obviously. However, there was not a 650 yard game plan anywhere to be found. It's not like Chip Long, like open the wrong envelope and it had the right. three point game plan and they had a 45 point game plan somewhere in his desk. So you got to have Jordan Johnson, Chris Tyree, Michael Mayer. Um, you know, we'll see what Ian book. Kevin can, Austin, can Kevin put, Austin, Kevin Austin for eligible. sure. Yeah. I mean, Kevin Austin was a guy that Clemson wanted that should make you feel good right. as a Notre Dame fan. Um, so, and not in a, Kevin Austin had an offer from Clemson. Kevin Austin was a guy Clemson wanted on the right. team. Um, so that's that's a big deal. You need, but you need more guys like that. So that's that's sort of where the recruiting element comes into it. Yeah, I mean, I talked to someone from Clemson after the game, and if they say, if you told us we made him punt seven times and we sacked him five times, and that we basically locked them up for the whole first quarter, we'd feel really really good about our chances. And again, they still gave up 42 points, and it could have been a lot worse. Chase dropped that touchdown, and LSU had a first and goal when they ended up t- running out the clock at the end. I mean, yep. uh, that, that's the best team I've ever seen in person with my own two eyes. Uh, I'm a little bit younger than you and than others, but yeah, I, I'll have a hard time seeing a, a team look that good uh, on the field and finish with the kind of resume that they did with, I believe, six top ten wins. And uh, none of them were particularly close. They had a three-point scare against Auburn. They won at Alabama by five, but anyone who watched that game knew LSU was up by two or three touchdowns the whole way, and there was some window dressing at the end. Um, that that was just uh, an incredible four- or five-month span that will be very, very hard to replicate. And even Coach O said as much the day afterward. Um as he uh, turns out, he he was not out partying. He said he had a box of Popeyes chicken with his wife in his suite, and he uh, went to bed. So, good for him. Popeyes wins the chicken wars. LSU wins uh, the national title. Uh, Notre Dame wins the Tommy Reese sweepstakes, and now we wait and see what happens with uh, the two full time staff openings and the DFO job, which opened. Jason Michelson uh, is moving on after a, a long run at Notre Dame as well. I know we both got along with him. Uh, yeah, very well. to a tequila and, uh, company. Um, yeah. There's probably Believe. some crossover to help Notre Dame fans get through some games next week <laughs> or next season. It's some, some, something to be said for that. That, that was but, more uh, of a uh, personal, our family's growing, we need a more stable lifestyle kind of move. Yeah, I which I totally else. get that. Yes. But, well, this is probably a good place to wrap up as, as Fortuna has reminded me that he is younger than me and he <laughs> was playing at the House of Blues for his last podcast before slumming it with the Shamrock here. But uh, we will be back. I think regularly on a weekly schedule this off season, we will do our best to have some guests. Um, I think that uh, some people in the media industry who have called Notre Dame games and uh, know a lot about it. Would Doug, be- Doug Flutie. That wasn't really where I was going first. I mean, okay, I know we've okay. already done the Tim Brando podcast, but uh, maybe more in the Dan Orlovsky, Chris Sims uh, vein. Those those might be some good guests for us down the road. Um, you know, and Matt, I think you have a, a dream guest that uh, maybe you bumped into at the national championship game too. So we'll see if we can. Yeah, he's he's moved from Tommy Reese's hometown to Manhattan Beach, so he hasn't been back in South Bend a little bit lately. But I tried to fill him in on all the happenings, and I, I guess everyone can dream that that he's on the field the next time they're in a, a national title game, and hopefully, we'll be a Shamrock guest before then. But we'll yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> get behind the scenes work on that one plenty of time so until our next episode of the shamrock thank you for listening as always i'm pete sampson he's matt fortuna this has been another edition of the shamrock brought to you by the athletic <laughs>